Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word, and how many things in your word that uh, we would have not have put there, and yet you put there, because you know the truths that we need to hear. And uh, so we pray that you would give us open hearts, open minds, that you would both challenge us, call us to repentance, uh, show us the ways that we are shutting you out of our lives, but also give us faith to receive your grace, your kindness, your mercy to us, which is offered uh, in, in your words. And uh, so send your spirit to be among us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, this morning we are uh, round two, on round two, talking about the church. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, this, is, uh, this is a turning point in the story where Jesus has retreated with his disciples. He's been in Galilee, which is kind of his home region where he grew up. Uh, and he's retreated to this northern city, Caesarea Philippi, with his disciples. And he's giving them a vision about you know, what he's doing. What is the whole project that Jesus is about? And what he says in verse 18 is that he is building his church. That's what Jesus wants to do, is he wants to build the church. And two weeks ago, what we looked at, first of all, was what is God's relationship to the church? And we talked about how, you know, the Father creates the church. You know, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So the reason we're here is because the Father's gathered us. And the church is built around, it's gathered around the person of Jesus Christ. And then the, Holy, the church is a people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the main kind of person that, you know, or persons that are present here is God himself that, that defines the church. This week, we're not going to talk about God's relationship to the church. We're going to talk about our relationship to the church, which is such a vital question in thinking about your spiritual life. Um, Cyprian, who was a third, third century church father, has a famous saying where he says, he can no longer have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. You can't have God as your father without the church as your mother. How are you going to grow up and how are you going to be nurtured and fed and cared for and disciplined and taught and all these things that mothers do? They, God does that through the church. And do you have that view of the church in your spiritual life that it's, it's just vital for you? Well, um, this morning we're going to look at three things that we need from the church. That first we need a, a mission. Because, you know, all of us, we need to have a purpose in our life. What is the purpose of our life? The mission and purpose of our life we get from our life in the church. Second, we're, we get, the, the church is an authority for us. 
you know, all of us coming to the church, God gathers us, we're still all sinners. And so we actually, we need accountability and spiritual oversight in our life. And so the authority that God brings in our life is through the church. And then lastly, though, also the church gives us assurance. Because one of the main things that we need in our spiritual life is to learn to, to be rest and be secure in God's love for us. And that happens, uh, that happens through the church. So three things that we need is we need purpose, accountability, and security. And so the church is my mission, my authority, and my assurance. Okay? These three things this morning. So first... The church is my mission. And you see there in verse 18, Jesus says this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, one of the things I mentioned about that verse about the gates of hell prevailing against the church is that it's probably an allusion to Isaiah 28 where there's this prophecy where Isaiah is describing like death and coming up out of Hades and hell and, you know, like a flood that's just sweeping everyone away. And the only thing that's not being swept away by the flood is God's temple, or the foundation especially of God's temple. And Jesus is saying, I'm the temple that won't be swept away by, you know, when hell is attacking. And, um, and so in that sense... Uh, Jesus is saying the church is this new temple that, that you know, hell will never overcome. But in that picture, you get, this, you get the sense that the church is on the defensive, right? That hell, you know, evil ones attacking from hell, attacking his church, and the church won't be overcome. And, and it's kind of true because that's how Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So it sounds like hell is attacking the church, but other commentators have also noted that gates, you know, it says the gates of hell will not prevail over the church. Gates are a defensive, right? They're not offensive weapon. You don't attack someone with your gates, right? And so the picture here is actually, it's not that hell is attacking the church. It's that the church is attacking hell. The church is on the offensive. The church is going out against evil and against darkness, against the lies, against the, the shame and brokenness of the world, and is bringing God's light and healing. And so when we become a part of the church, what this means is God has this rescue mission of all nations where he's drawing all nations to himself to, to redeem them through his love. We begin to play a role in that mission by becoming a part of the church. That's how we begin to play the role in it. Is, um, and that's how we become a light to the world is through being in the church. And you know, I think all of us, I think all humans, have a sense that we are made to have some purpose in playing a role of rescue in the world. That we're, that, that's part of being human. That's why we're put here, is to do something to, you know, press against the darkness, you know, to, to stop suffering in some degree, to be God's agents. And that, you know, a really only a fulfilling life has at least an element of that present in, in defining it, in directing it. And actually, there's a, some of you know Fleet Fox is a Seattle band um, that I've listened to over the last few years, and I think it's their last album. It, uh, they have a song called Helplessness Blues. And in that song, it's the singer, this is how it starts off. It says... I was raised up believing I was somehow unique, like a snowflake, distinct among snowflakes, unique in each way you can see. And now, after some thinking, I'd say I'd rather be a functioning cog 
in some great machinery serving something beyond me. And what, what he's saying, you know, he has these two pictures. He says, you know, I grew up and I was told I was like a snowflake and it was, I was unique and I, I had some purpose and I was going to f- find out who I was and I was going to fulfill my uniqueness and, you know, self-actualize myself. And then he said, you know, I grew up and I realized I was kind of, in, you know, shallow. It's just about serving me. And I realized that, you know, I don't want to be this individual snowflake. I want to play a piece in this great machinery, you know, that, that I'm serving some purpose that's far beyond me. And which is it, though? The song is, what should I be doing? Should I be serving some great purpose or serving myself and becoming who I should be? And this is the great thing that God wants to give us in the church, is he's bringing these two things that seem at odds with each other together. That when we come to to know God and his redemption works in our life, we become who we were made to be. But not only that, we're brought into a community. You know, what, what does the Bible say about the church is? It's a body. You know, we're all different parts of the body. Someone's an ear, someone's a knee or a liver, whatever. You know, we all have a different part of the body that we play that's made uniquely and that serves the functioning of the whole thing and then we go do something, we do, do some mission and it's in the church that these two things that seem at odds with each other, becoming who I really am and serving some purpose that's beyond me, come together. And so it's in the church that I find my mission to fight against the powers of hell. And there are real powers of hell in the world. Anyone who looks, takes a serious look at the world sees that there's darkness and there's suffering. And we are a part of, the, of God's work to rescue the world. And so, you know, it's an important thing for us to think about because we, we come into the church looking for a lot of other things, right? You know, maybe we're lonely and we say, I, there's nice people at church, I'm going to find some friends. And of course you, that will happen. And, uh, you know, some of us say, I realize I have profound emotional and psychological problems. I need to figure my... I can't even understand myself and I go to church. Maybe God can help kind of quiet things down internally and God does do that. He, do, he does do that. Or some of us just come to church and say, you know, I like being right and the church has the truth and so it feels good to like have the truth and no one else has the truth. You know, I just want to be right. There's all kinds of reasons that we come into the church. But what Jesus says is that we were chosen, we were called, we were transformed to play a part in God's mission to undo the darkness in the lives of hell. We have purpose here. And, you know, I just encourage you in that. Because, you know, some of you may say, I want to have purpose. I want to feel like I'm serving something bigger, but I'm not sure what I have to offer. You know, I, I realize I'm struggling with all these sins. Uh, you know, I'm struggling with my family just to get along in my marriage. And how could I have something beyond that? But let me just tell you, you just by you being here, worshiping, every Sunday, talking to people and knowing people here, and just even when you hear a need, you know, someone talks to you after church and you sense a need and you respond to it, maybe you have someone for dinner, you, you know, you pray for someone, or maybe you're just even involved in a home group. You go to a home group and you love people and you build relationships. Or just, even just maybe when God periodically opens a door for you to talk about uh, who Christ is, you know, you mention it. But you're, you may say, I, I'm not this hero of a servant. Just your participation in being a part of Christ's body, you are a part of this greater purpose and part of the mission. Okay? So what happens here in this church, why are we here, is, is God is giving us purpose and he's giving us mission in his church. But in order for us to be on mission together, there has to be something that ties us together as a community. 
And that's the second thing we learn in this passage, not just that the church is my mission, is where I get my mission, but also the church is my authority. The church plays a spirit, has spiritual authority over my life. And this is, this is really a key thing in the Bible. You, you'll notice this, that Jesus talks about authority, the authority in the, of the church in verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven... And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And the picture that Jesus is using here, you know, it's in a, you picture a great house, like some old you know, lord back in the day, or some king who uh, has a steward, who kind of, you know, the, the administrator of all his possessions and his wealth and kind of oversees things, and he's given the keys. And it may be, you know, keys to the gates of the kingdom and, you know, let's, some people in, closes the doors, but it's probably actually that this steward has the keys to the storehouses where, you know, all the bread and all the food that's, that's given out to the people in the kingdom and he can open, you know, the loosening and binding is the opening and closing, lock, locking and unlocking of those doors to all the king's wealth and all the riches that are his. They're dispersed through this steward. And Jesus says that I give this authority of stewardship over his people and over his kingdom to the church and especially to the leaders in the church, actually. And this is why I, you know, I think the Bible says that ordinarily the way that people come to know God and have his life, it's through communities like this. It's ordinary, and that's been true for some of you. Some of you, you know, have come to church and you just, you listen to God's word and you met some Christians and over time you realize that you met Christ and, and you came to believe in him. It's because salvation comes through the church. That's how God does it. It's through the church. It's a healthy way to do it. And the church has been given this authority. Now, during the Protestant Reformation, some, most of you will know about the, the great divide that happened in the Western church in the 16th century. One of the main issues during the Protestant Reformation was the question of church authority. And I... Uh, because at certain times, the popes in the Catholic Church had believed that um, Jesus had given them authority to decide who could and could not enter into heaven. That they had the authority to decide that. And, uh, and so they acclaimed that they had authority to declare people anathema, which meant that they, that they were condemned to hell. And actually... There was a time where there were three different popes that were all rivals with one another, and they had um, condemned the other two popes, you know? So all the popes, they kind of condemned each other, and all their followers. So at one point, all of Europe had been condemned to hell by some pope living at that time. And so, you know, the whole thing's a mess. And so the reformers are trying to tidy this up and say, okay, what, what authority is, is, does the church have? What, what marks are there of, of a true and faithful church? And there were these three marks that uh, the reformers said, that first of all, that the church has been given authority to preach the gospel. Okay, so that's one of the things you see in this passage is Jesus is giving Peter authority and he says, on this rock I will build my church. And why is he giving that to Peter? What did Peter just do in this passage? Peter, Jesus had asked him, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He believed the gospel. And so this first thing that marks the authority of the church is that the church preaches the gospel, the good news of the gospel, and believes the gospel. And that the only way that the church can have authority is while it is being faithful 
to the preaching of the gospel. So, that, so if they compromise the gospel, then you compromise your authority. Second thing, though, that the reformers said was the church had authority um, to administer the sacraments, which was uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And, you know, it's interesting that Jesus uses the image of a steward, right? And the steward's got the storehouse. And this, what's the storehouse full of? Bread. He's distributing bread to people. You know, it's kind of like, if you know the Old Testament story of, of Joseph, where Joseph was the prime minister in Egypt, you know, second under command of Pharaoh. And, he, you know, there was seven years of, um, uh, of abundance. And he fills these storehouses with grain. And then there's seven years of famine. And what does Joseph do? He's got the keys to the storehouses and he disperses the bread. And so, um, and now the church has the authority to disperse the sacraments. And let me just tell you one of the things if you don't think of baptism in the Lord's Supper as being authoritative uh, signs, what these are is these are seals of God's blessing and seals of salvation. So it's kind of like, you know when a king has had those rings back in the old day and they'd, they'd put it in wax and they'd take, you know, they'd put a wax seal if they were sending a, you know, an official letter or something like that and the, the seal would say that their authority backed that letter? That's what, that's what uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper are. They are God's seals. They are his mark that he promises to be with, with us, his church, and, and to, to give us grace and to give us his spirit and to call us his children to care for us. They're, so God's promises are here. But then the third thing that the reformers said, they said, okay, you can preach the gospel, you're going to do the sacraments, but the third thing was that the church has authority to do church discipline. Church discipline, not not a favorite topic in our day uh, about church discipline, but actually the language used in this passage is used again, Jesus talks about it again in uh, chapter 18, where he's talking about what do you do when someone sins against you in the church? And some of you know this, what does Jesus say? If someone sins against you, you, you go and talk to them. Right? One one on one, right? You don't go talk about them to other people. You go talk to that person, just one of you, and say, hey, listen, we need to resolve this conflict. And he says, if they won't resolve it with you, then what do you do? You get one other person and you say, hey, we need some help resolving this. Can you help confront this sin and we need to talk this out? You're still not being resolved. Then you go to the church. He says, take it to the church, which we take to mean the elders, the authority structure that the church has appointed. You take it to the elders. This is what Jesus says. If he refuses to listen to them, the two, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So you see that? It's from the same, same saying. And then Jesus says this, Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be... Uh, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And some of you might know that verse about Jesus saying where two or three are gathered together, I'm, I'm among them. And we usually think of that in terms of like prayer groups, you know, and two or three people will get together to pray. It's actually, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about church discipline. He's talking about when you have two or three elders together, not just one elder. There's no pastor who gets authority to, uh, to do church discipline on, on, on any other individual. You must have a plurality of elders. That's what we have in our church. And, uh, and if they make a ruling in the church, an authoritative ruling, Jesus says, I will, I'm behind that ruling. I am with them. And you should receive that ruling as if it came from me. 
That's an amazing statement, that Jesus is investing the church with a spiritual authority. There is accountability. And so that's why, actually, in other places in the Bible, it says if you're a Christian, you should submit to your elders. That God has put a spiritual authority over you in your life and that you need it in your life. And that, you should have, and that we need an attitude of submission to our elders. And so that raises a question for many of you, I imagine. Um, do you sense that you need that? That I need spiritual authority, spiritual oversight in my life. Do you have that in your life? You know, are you a member of a church? Are, you know, if you come to this church, are you a member of this church? You know, if, if, if there are elders who are responsible, you know, for overseeing your soul, do those elders know who you are? Because that's what church membership is, 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 you know, to say I submit to my elders isn't to say, well, I submit generally to the elders that are globally around the world. No, there's got to be some elder that you submit to. Who is it? And does he know that you're going to submit to him and that you're under his spiritual care? And so that's one of the reasons why we say, I need that in my life. And so we have to ask ourselves, why am I resisting that, if you are resisting it? Or maybe you are a church member, but you wouldn't let someone with spiritual oversight speak in your life. Why is that? Do you know that this is something that you need? Now, I, some of you will say, okay, Pastor, yeah, you're saying we need to be under spiritual authority. What about you? Who are, who are you under? And actually, you know, I, I'm a Presbyterian, so what that means is I definitely am under spiritual authority. I, I'm a part of a presbytery, which is a group of other pastors that I'm accountable to. And to become a pastor, I brought, you know, Daniel and I, we spent probably 25 hours in examinations and about our theology, about our life, and they were making sure that... Uh, you know, we're qualified to be, to be pastors. And also, if, if, if I was sinning against you or uh, abusing my role, you have a presbytery that you can go to. You can bring charges against me. You can complain to. It's not like I'm, I, I, I sit in here with all kinds of authority. And you have other elders in this church that hold me accountable and that hold each other accountable. And so this is a key place of understanding that a part, even though this is something that, as Christians, we don't think about, we think about spiritual feelings and, and not so much an institution. And yet this is something that Jesus was putting in place. And so let me just say a couple things about discipline, about church discipline. Um, we should, first of all, expect that at some point in our life together, each one of us, we're going to have to be corrected on something. Someone's going to have to call me out. I mean, if we're a bunch of sinners getting stuck together, there's got to be some point where someone's going to have to call me out on something, right? And, and what we have to understand is that disciplines, God's discipline in our lives comes in all different kinds of forms, right? You know, it could be that you're just listening to a sermon and you say, you know, I'm not a church member. I'm feeling convicted about that. That could be God's discipline in your life and, and to have a responsive spirit to that. It could be that you see someone else who's trusting God or being faithful uh, to God in some way that you're not and you feel challenged by that. You can either be defensive or you can say, you know, this is God challenging me. I'm going to be responsive to his discipline. Or it could be someone sitting down and talking to you and say, hey, I see this in your life. Could someone say that to you? And what we should know is that God, the Bible's clear that God disciplines us because he loves us. He's a father. This is not, it's not, it's not because uh, God is being punitive is because he cares for us. He's training us. He's training us to trust him and to love him. And so sometimes he even brings hardships into our lives in order to teach us more about his love. 
And so, one of the questions we should ask, though, is, is, am I ready to receive that? The way that our hearts are enabled to see that, though, is to be secure in the gospel and in who Christ is. Because if it's true that all of our sins are totally forgiven in Jesus, all the sins we've ever done and ever will do, and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we are embraced and received by God, then we should be secure that someone can call out something in my life and I'm not going to be totally derailed. I can receive it. And I can ask God and say, God, help me to work on this in my life. But what that means is in order to have a culture where we can have this authority structure, that we can have a sense of where I'm under spiritual authority, there has to go with that a sense where I feel assured that God loves me. Right? If you only have authority, if you only have that structure, you only have church discipline, people calling each other out, right? that's not going to be a community you want to be a part of. So it also has to be a place where I feel assured of God's love. And this is the third thing that we learn in this passage, is not just that the church is my mission, the church is my authority, but also the church is where my assurance is. Where my assurance of God, where I learn that assurance is in this community. And, um, you know, I've, I've often thought about my kids, excuse me, and how, how do they learn that they're loved by God. How do, how do my children learn a, a sense of assurance, security, that they're loved? I, you know, I don't think it comes simply through kind of spiritual things like Bible verses. I mean, that's, that's an important part. They need to hear what the Bible says about them. That's a, and, you know, prayer and things like that. That's an important piece. But one of the ways that God teaches them security is by putting them in a family, right? Putting them in a structure, putting them in a concrete, not just a spiritual place, but in a physical place where there's other physical people that are around them and there's physical authority over them. And, you know, what happens is, you know, my kids, you know, I take them and, I, like, I kind of grab my kids' faces and smush them together and my kids are, like, you know, looking at me and I say, who made this face? God made it. Uh, you know, and who made these ears? And I grab them and stuff and I was like... And, does God love you as I'm smishing their face? And yeah, God loves me. Do I love you? Do I love you? How much your dad love you? So much. My dad loves me so much. I'm squishing him. And you, you realize that this, um, this physical experience of being you know, with a father it, and to have a, a lifetime of that, a, a childhood of that, produces a sense of security that I'm loved. Now this is the question. Why, why is that so powerful for a parent to love and be connected to physically to their child, why does that have such an impact on them? It's because they're in an authority role over them. It's the authority that I have as a father. And what happens in our culture, we only think of as authority as a bad thing, right? It's something that we don't want, uh, right? Authorities are oppressive. Authorities, you know, limit my freedom. And authorities are always calling me out and telling me bad things that I'm doing. And, uh, but the reality is that authorities are put in place for our good to teach us. This earthly, physical relationship is a training in having a spiritual relationship with God. And um, now, I know that for some of you, you might say, you know, I grew up in a, in a family where I didn't have that security worked into me, <laughs> you know, taught, taught to me, instilled in me growing up. And let me just say that that's part of the reason that God's given you the church to teach you that assurance. 
You might have thought that was my only shot. That's not your only shot. God gives you a new family and a new authority structure. And I'll tell you, look at what it says here, verse 19. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You know, it's very interesting. This, it's very earthy. You know, whatever's on earth, God's going to give you this earthy thing to teach you about a spiritual thing. And what's interesting, you know, this is a subtle point, but uh, the verbs there, they're actually a future perfect, which is an odd construct, so that actually, literally, it should be translated, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been bound in heaven. And so what this is saying, it's not that God condones anything that happens in the church, that God says whatever the church does, I'm behind it. But what it's saying is that what's happening in the church is a mirror, a reflection of what God is already doing in heaven. And that's a tremendous authority. So you know what that means is that when, you know, when Daniel comes up here during, early in the worship service, we all confessed our sins, and he says to you, your sins are taken away. You're washed. You are clean in God's sight. That's not just Daniel talking. Jesus has said is God has already, heaven has already spoken, and Daniel's just telling you what heaven is already saying. He's a mirror for you of what's happening in heaven, what's happening in God's own heart and God's own mind. And it's objective. And the reason, I'll tell you why this is important for us to hear is, as American evangelical Christians, is that in American evangelical world, we have looked primarily for our assurance in what's happened in our hearts, right? Have you accepted Jesus into your heart? Have you had a spiritual encounter with him? And what happens to some of you, I know you've grown up in the church and you say, well, you know, I accepted Jesus and then I wasn't as into Jesus and then I had to accept him again and then I wasn't into him and then I accepted again. I accepted him like five times and maybe I've gotten baptized multiple times and you realize that the assurance is going up and down and it's changing all the time because it's tied to my inner life instead of something outside of me, something that's permanent, something that's unchanging. And what God wants to give us in the church is something that's unchanging and they say, you know, my, I'm a part of this family. And when you come here every week, your status isn't changing. You're a child of God. And that's what God wants to assure you with this structure, with this authority, is that when you're in here, you're in in heaven. And so, um, Jesus wants you to know deeply that you are his. He wants you to have assurance of his love. And so he's given you a physical means to teach you that. And that's the church. And, but the only way we can learn that assurance is if we have been willing to come under the spiritual authority that God has put in place. Have you been willing to do that? It's because he wants good things for you. And when he does that, when we all come under that spiritual authority, he binds us together to do a mission as the body of Christ and to be a light in the world. And so it's a profound thing. It's a great blessing to be a part of the church. It's a great invention. It's a great <laughs> Jesus idea, Jesus project, that as he sets to go to the cross to die for us, this is what he wanted to build. Let's pray together. Our oh Lord, we thank you uh, for calling us into a family to be called yours, to be called your children. Um, Lord, I, I pray that you would teach us what it is to humble ourselves 
to come under the authority that you've put in place for us. Give us hearts to trust you as we do that, to know that it is for our good. I pray for those who are here that it is uh, frightening for them to come under spiritual authority. And I pray that you would just guide their hearts, instruct their hearts. And I pray that we would be a church that is faithful in how we exercise authority as well. That it would be for the good of those who are here. And that we'd see many come to be assured of your love. Lord, set us on mission as well. That you might send us out and more and more, even here in Bellingham, uh, we would see that even the gates of hell cannot resist the power of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.